We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the Men from Moto, and you are listening to episode 28, Luck of the Irish. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. How are you, Mr. Sowers? I am fantastic, David. How are you? I am excellent. Work, uh, My work life, my home life, my fun life is all kind of going swimmingly. Uh, my my stream life is coming back soon, so hurrah to that. Um, it, basically, everything's coming up, David. Congratulations on your uh, Twitch affiliate, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. We got our sub buttons this week, so now I need to go find somebody that will uh, um, make me an emote for a reasonable price. And, you know, somebody to watch the stream. But, you know, you can get that later. <laughs> <laughs> Always with the quick jabs. Now, speaking of everything coming up, David, we have a special guest this week. Uh, we have Mr. David Murphy, a.k.a. Dave C. Is that correct on Twitch? That is correct. How are you doing? Pretty good. We have uh, Mr. Murphy on here with us. He's got uh, some big news in regards to uh, playing Magic as a career. And we thought we'd bring him on and uh, promote his stream, promote his podcast, and talk about his outstanding achievement. Maybe we'll let him take that away. So, Mr. Murphy, what happened to you recently in terms of playing Magic? Well, I, I, I got pretty lucky and I managed to pop a RPTQ in Scandinavia, Sweden, Copenhagen, Sweden. I think I can I can never remember which capital goes with which Scandinavian country. But yeah, I managed to top four in RPTQ there. Sealed one. And it's gonna be my first pro tour in uh Kyoto at the end of next month going over for the GP and the uh Pro Tour. So pretty pretty stoked. I've been trying for I don't know what age am I now? At least ten years, I would say. I've been trying to get to this stage uh out of a very small country. So it's been it's been difficult and uh, it's I'm very excited to say the very least. That is outstanding. Congratulations. I know this is uh, Travis is very keen to pick your brain on this one because that's Travis's, uh, you know, road to, to the to the PT is uh, through streaming and through RT, RPTQs and things like that. So I'm sure Travis has a lot of questions. So congratulations. And uh, what we wanted to do today is just, like I said, pick your brain. We're going to ask you a bunch of questions, let you brag about your success. And uh, I'd love to touch on your, your stream and your podcast as well. And, um, and maybe get your insight into how you're going to test for the pro tour. So uh, pretty excited. We're super thrilled to have you on. We can't wait to get this going. And then once we've had a bit of a, once we have had that bit of a discussion, uh, we're going to kind of close the the book on uh, Amon Ket and we're going to uh, wrap it up with a bit of a hit and miss show, you know, talk about the things we liked, the things we didn't like, and then kind of get ready for preview week. Uh, going into Hour of Devastation next week. So it's going to be a whirlwind podcast here. Uh, Hopefully quality content like always. So uh, Travis, maybe I'll let you take it away with the first question. Let's start picking Dave's brain. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious, um, how often do you play Paper Magic versus streaming? So like I've seen you do Magic Online PTQs. 
what's the difference in a paper PTQ and a, a online PTQ and kind of what got you in the, in the mood to go do this RPTQ in sealed? Um, so I don't get to play too much in person anymore. I've become a bit of a hermit. Uh, so I'm, I'm originally from Dublin and Dublin, not the biggest city. Public transport brings you everywhere. And we have one big game shop that I used to work in when I was a bit younger and, uh, very good friend of mine, Fergus Looney, he uh, he manages. So I did all my magic playing there. And at my height, I was playing two, two, three times a week with the local players in there, plus any PPTQ and event like that that would come up on weekends. But I'm now living with my long-term girlfriend, Callie. And it's a bit further. It's like right on the outskirts of Dublin. So while it's not too much traveling, it's 40 to 45 minutes in, 40 to 45 minutes back because I don't drive. I need to take public transport. And it's just... When Magic the Gathering Online is so close, it's just not really worth it. Especially, and no offense to my local players, Dublin isn't a hub of, hub of Magic. The events I'm playing wouldn't be super competitive. There would only be two or three guys in the room that are... It's, it sounds so pompous, but worth playing from a perspective of pushing myself to get better, where everything else would be for fun. And while I do enjoy having fun and I want to come in every now and again to see these guys again and shoot shit so to speak it's not something that's worth my time doing two or three times a week anymore so that that is uh i I played the majority of my magic online at the moment um pptqs i do in real life because again (laughs) it feels like i'm insulting my community a lot uh they're a bit softer in ireland um there are good players there are that's let's say there's probably more but there's like 10 very good players that I would fear to play or would be obstacles to play in an event. But I have a pretty decent conversion. I, I've played eight or nine real-life PPTQs. I'm, I'm pretty adverse to the system, so it's not the highest number. And I've won, I want to say, four. So decent conver- conversion rate and lets me play RPTQs. Um, I chose to play a real-life RPTQ because a friend of mine, Mark McGovern, who's one of the better players in Dublin, he went to the last Scandinavian one, and that only had, I want to say, like 24 people. So with the uh, new rules are coming in, which means that the qualifications scale with the number of people at the event. But under the old rules, it meant still, uh, what was it, four people qualified from those 24 people, which is insane. It's a, like a sixth of the tournaments qualifying for the Pro Tour. And real-life events are a bit softer than the online ones there's still good players at rptqs no matter what they had to win a whole event to get there but real life players tend to be a little softer i think than online players so i decided to do this he had top aided the previous one he had lost in the quarters not to uh make it he was going to go to the second scandinavian one so i went with him and we ended up uh four of us in a airbnb going to the event and trying to spike Unfortunately, as I said, the future ones are going to scale, so it's going to be it's going to be less advantageous for me to travel like that, and probably better to do them online. But the plan is to never have to do them at all after uh, after next month. Heck I, I yeah, agree. man! Yeah, I really dislike the qualification system. Ireland used to uh, we used to send a person, three or four people a year to the Pro Tour because we had PTQs. Every country had PTQs. Sometimes they get poached by people. But in general, we'd be sending Irish guys. But now we sent one Irish guy at the start of the year to PT Dublin. He qualified on an online one, Craig Chapman, a very good online player. 
and we haven't sent anyone since. And like the year before, we only sent one guy to the Pro Tour. So it's getting uh, getting scarce to see us so there. You're gonna go represent Ireland and the streamers, man. Yeah, it's 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 a better fe- it's a better feeling. I've always wanted to go to a Pro Tour. Obviously, it's been my goal for a long time. But when you're sending a couple Irish guys a year, they go on, they fall off. Not many of them get to chain them. We haven't had that many professional players. Now it's starting to feel more special because another thing I crusade a lot about is the World Magic Cup. And I don't think that feels special anymore. So now it's almost as if it's back to a national system where I'm representing Ireland and getting a chance to uh, to stay on and get us another pro- professional player. We haven't had one since uh, John Larkin or Stuart Shinkins. And these guys are five, six, seven plus years ago at this stage. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. So, well... I, I hope you I hope you go well. Like I, I don't know what record you need to make the next Pro Tour, um, but X, you know X five, X five. So there X5. you go. So easily attainable. Um, you know, got your goals in sight. That's that's outstanding. <laughs> easily um, attainable. Like I, I get it. It's going to be some tough magic, man. But we'll we will be cheering from you uh, for you here. I hope it's you what, get a feature match. It's what I expect off myself. If we get there, we'll see. But it's definitely what I'm expecting to do outstanding gotta have those unreasonable goals or how can you be disappointed in life i I just couldn't live without (laughs) it um so when it comes to doing the rptqs online though how many people qualify in a typical rptq online is it top eight is it the top one like how Um, how does that work i don't know how the new rules are actually going going forward but it's top eight uh for the last couple it's been fixed top eight because they wanted to make sure enough people kind of fill it um, they've been big though. I want to say the last one was over, over 150, 200 people. They've been mm-hmm. gradually getting bigger because it's just becoming, I think people are finally starting to realize it's a bit of a pain to travel to these things. And it's fine if you're like central European or and stuff like that, where maybe you take a train, a kind of expensive train or a long bus, but if you have to fly to it, it is just a pain in the ass. It's, 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 it's annoying. There's no other word for it. So I think more and more people from smaller communities that don't feel like getting up and going are going to do it. There's also going to be a, there is a link to uh, the promo and how many people will travel. So if the promo is more likely to tra- uh, cover travel costs, more people will travel. So when mm-hmm. it's Liliana of the Vale and you're getting $150 for it, more people I think are going to do real life ones than online ones. And, or the right. Snapcaster was worth a hundred dollars, but only worth seven uh, ticks online. For example. Right. So does it, yeah, yeah. If if you can recoup some of your travel costs, then it kind of makes sense. Yeah, but I okay. I do not know what they're doing going forward. I've heard that they're keeping it top eight on MTGO, but I don't think you have to worry anymore because the numbers are getting so large. They're always going to be hitting the hit, hitting the peak. It's like over one hundred and twenty eight. I want to say in real life gets you eight people qualified mm, but it's, okay. it's always doing that on moto so I, I don't think it's a problem anymore do you okay. think there should be a way to because I, I played in one of those uh regional ptqs on magic online the only reason i qualified for it was i was going to a gp for a new format it wasn't out online yet so it's like ah screw it i'll go to an rptq just so i can play sealed happened yeah. to win the event and was like ah hmm. i may as well stream it like the only way I could play in that event on magic online was to first qualify in a paper event. Is that good that they're connected? Should they be disconnected? Like what, what are your thoughts about that after, after kind of seeing both sides of it? 
I'm pretty happy it's connected because it it wouldn't affect me too bad. If if I actually wanted to fly to an RPTQ in England, if I plan well ahead, it's not costing me too much to fly. Ireland's actually a pretty, as much as I complain, it's a pretty good hub to fly out of for GPs and RPTQs. But I can imagine there's people in like the corners of uh, America that it'll cost them a boatload of money to go to this RPTQ. Like I, I've heard uh, Hawaiians complaining because they're so isolated from the rest of the community now. They don't get PTQs yeah. anymore, so their competitive scene, as far as I've heard, this is internet stuff, someone can correct me if they're from the area, but their community is dying off because you have to fly everywhere and the flights are not cheap, not cheap at all. So if, if this wasn't the case, I think people would get isolated and not be able to play competitive Magic. It's actually what I love about Magic Online. If you go back to one of the most famous grinders, uh, Brad Nelson, that's why he started on Magic Online. He was isolated. He couldn't really get to his local shop that much. Or if you can't get to your local shop, sometimes it's very casual. And this is a way for you to have a competitive outlet. Uh, I've heard some people complain that you can't qualify them for them online. So that's kind of weird that there's this event that you online that you can't qualify for online. But I think if you start to do that, they'll get huge. They'll be you see how big limited PTQs are online? Yeah, they'll start yeah, to reach right. those kind of numbers, and then you feel punished. You're going to a real life event, and you're punished for playing an online event. So it's weird, but I think it's actually one of the better things that's happening on Moto. Okay, neat. Okay, so all right, so you qualified. You mm-hmm. you realize that this is real. This is actually happening. Did the realization set in that oh you have to test now or what 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 was your next thought after you kind of came down off that high of you've actually done it and you sat down in front of Magic Online to do your testing like like what was going through your head and now how are you approaching getting prepared for the PT how does that fit into your your regular play or your stream kind of what's your approach to that? Well, the first thing that went through my head, I'm obviously very happy with the win, but it's a weird kind of happy where. I think if I had done this seven or eight years ago, you're just ecstatic, whatever. It's just out of your mind. You get to do this thing that you watch other people professionally do and you'd be so happy. But it's kind of a mixture of normal happiness and relieved. You know, the last last four or five years, no matter how prepared I am, I'm falling at final hurdles. I've lost in finals of PTQs. I've lost in the quarterfinal of the nationals. Lots of uh, stuff has happened to me like this. And it just feels like a kick to the gut. And I don't have to feel that at the end of this event. I've traveled all the way to Scandinavia. I was prepared. You know, it's sealed. There's always that little, you'll get that 5% unplayable pool. Like 2 to 5% of the pools in the room are just going to be completely unplayable. And then you've spent all this money to do this. So I was just super relieved. That was also probably because my opponent's deck was a lot better than mine. And my opponent was a very good player. So I was super relieved by that as well. I... I said that I said a very similar thing when I day twoed my first GP because I had just been expecting it for so long and was super angry at myself that I hadn't. That instead of feeling this just, yeah, fantastic, we got there, super positive, you're just like, oh, finally, thank God. Oh, my God. Which is, which is I think, a bit sad and maybe shows a bit about my pessimistic mindset. And my next thought definitely shows that where I'm looking, you get the blue envelope. You actually get the blue envelope and it has congratulations on it. I'm looking down at it. And I'm like, is this, is this finally happened? And my, my scumbag brain just goes, oh, the plane's going to crash on the way home. Obviously, That's, <laughs> <laughs> This is how it ends. Some kind of, some kind of twist. I still have to fly like 13 hours to 
Kyoto. There's still time, I guess. But uh, yeah, it was it was kind of surreal. I had a, as I said, four, uh, three of my friends there. They were super supportive about it. They were all watching the quarterfinals. First thing I did was text Kali, who is crazy supportive of everything I do: the streaming, the traveling, the, the trying to accomplish what I am. And she was she was probably happier and more relieved than I was that I was going. So that, that was absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, the the testing, the, the first thing that actually came to my mind for the testing is a strange one. Um, because I have a little bit of notoriety, I'm not, I'm not exactly internet famous, but some people will recognize me. I thought what happens if maybe a minor team approaches me? Because what I'd really like to do is I'd like to do the majority of my testing on stream. And that might be a conflict of interest if I ask people, do you want to share information with me? Do you want to test with me? Because they don't want their information getting out there. Now, it's it's actually negligible. I never get more than, I think, 350 is about the max uh, viewership I get on a good day. I'm never going to get much more than that, uh, at least over the short term. So the information getting out there is, it's not really going to happen. It's not going to reach enough people. And if it does it's a random guy on Twitch who, who you're going to believe, you know, kind of thing. But that that popped up. Uh, so far, no offers, though. So I just, I know a couple of people going to the Pro Tour. We're going to sh- share information. But mostly for the first week, it's just going to be me playing maybe 100 drafts on stream, taking a couple tw- 12-hour streams, burning, my, setting my money on fire, trying to figure out the pick order. I'm going to keep a big spreadsheet, which I'm probably going to share somewhere online for people to look at and analyze. I'm going to, when the set comes out, I'm going to sit down for a couple hours, take a look at it, ask a couple of my friends who I trust with limited opinions, what they think of the set. I'm going to take a top five of each color common-wise. I'm going to pick what I think initially the top five is, top five of each uncommon, and then just a maybe top ten of cards I would pick that aren't rares. Do 100 drafts and then reanalyze that completely from scratch mm-hmm. and compare notes and see why I think differently in so many drafts. So... Uh, I think in modern magic, it's super hard to get an edge for constructed. Not only is it going to be out on moto for like three weeks before the pro tour. So the metagame is going to be kind of, there's going to be a very good foundation of a metagame there, but the pro teams are always going to have a better deck than you. It's very rarely that an individual comes up with something completely groundbreaking. So all I can do, I think is have a very solid constructed deck. Maybe just a plain one from moto that I've tweaked. Well, but I can certainly get up to scratch and limited, and I can certainly gain edges and limited and be the hardest working limited player there for the tournament. You know, so that that I think that is my plan so far. It seems to me like having it out earlier on Magic Online is a huge benefit for someone in the position of qualifying for their first Pro Tour and not having a team. Oh yeah, I, I'm super happy by this. Um, I. The, the the major one for me is I also, so if I was an American guy and I was qualified for the first time and it was the old system where I'd have to wait, it's like a week and a half for it to come out online. This draft camps, I can find a competitive shop somewhere that's going to run a million drafts, like an okay idea of it. I can't do that over here. You know, I could get some friends together. There's just not that many. Like I would struggle to find seven guys uh, or gals where I would really trust their opinion. Unlimited, and I'd really think it would be a representative of a pro tour, average pro tour pod. Where if you're in not every state, but a lot of states, you'd go to a game store, you could probably find people 
that you're like, you know what, on a, on a good day, this guy would be on the Pro Tour. On a good day, this, this girl would be stringing together Pro Tours. But there's, there's not really that. There's only three or four people over here where I really trust that with. Are you going to be testing standard online as well? Or are you just going to stick to the limited on your, or not online, but on your stream? Are, are you worried about giving away your trade secrets for standard? Or um, are you going to do uh, both? I'm not worried about giving away my personal opinions. I will be very vocal of my personal opinions on the cards. And I will probably have my entire decklist for the world to see on my Twitter or on my stream before I, uh, before I register it. I'd be worried about giving away other people's opinions. So I will be talking mm-hmm. to three, four other people that are on the Pro Tour, asking what they think, giving my opinion about cards to them and bouncing stuff off them. If they tell me something that I haven't come to a conclusion to already, I'm not going to share that on the stream if I can help it, unless I get maybe their permission to do it, unless they want me to test it, and I'll be doing most of my testing on stream. It'll be eight, nine hours a day. So that is going to probably be kept secret a little bit, but most of what I know is just going to be out there for people to see. Do you buy into the the thought and the strategy of some players where they 4-0 drop a league to not give away their their tech? <laughs> like is that something that concerns you? Because I mean I mean it's actually it's a serious question. Like like I'm I'm curious if if people actually think that that's a big deal that those lists will end up on a wizard's article just randomly um and kind of kind of get that out there. Or do you think that information is like like already out there in somebody's hands already just waiting to be spoiled on Twitter or something like that? So I saw recently Emma Handy and Jeff, uh, I can never pronounce the second name, right? Hogan? 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 Hogan, yeah. Yeah. And they've both done this. And I can understand it from their perspective a bit more because they're big fish in their pond. And um, they, you know, for the first two, three rounds, it's not great if the people know it. But it's it's so unlikely that I'm going to come up with a strategy that completely shatters the format. And if I do, you know, maybe that's a real benefit to me. If I do that and name out of a hat, Reed Duke starts talking to me about the strategy, that's only going to help me long term. Mm-hmm. If these people see me as a good good deck builder. So me personally, in my spot, I do not buy into that. There's also the percentage where I'm not rich. I would like to win booster packs. So, <laughs> so I don't know. Like the odds of it actually ending up on the website, it's only like they do half, less than half of the decks or something I've heard. To, I, yeah, no, okay. No one knows exactly. Um, but unless, if, if I thought I already broke it, if I played the first four games with the deck, and I'm like, wow, okay, no, this is something I should keep under my hat. Fingers crossed no one plays at the SCG, and then I can be kind of secretive bringing it in. But the people that play against you might also try and mimic the deck. Now that's mm. longer. It takes them longer to then make, then they have to five zero and they have to guess your exact list and then it goes up. But if you're playing in those leagues anyway, unless it's in a really constrained amount of time, like maybe someone like Emma Handy, she I think her event is this weekend, is the Invitational. You know, unless that's going to happen, someone's going to see your deck. Someone's going to go, "That's cool. I'm going to try and mimic it." The information's going to get out. It's just a bit slower than if it would five zero. Okay. I like your That's perspective fair. on that, man, where it's like, hey, if I get so much attention from 5-0-ing a league with this, that'd be good for me. So, yeah, yeah. I, I can get behind that. Um, I wanted to give you a chance, too, as we're chatting here some and, and before we start talking a bit about Am and Cat, to talk about all the other projects you do. So I, I've seen your stream. Uh, Twitch handle is Dave C, Dave S-E-A. Yeah, Dave S-E-A, and that's it. What can people expect uh, to find when they tune into your stream? Like, what's your stream about? Well, I originally started uh, 
well, mostly because I had way too much time on my hand. But um, European time is kind of tricky. And when I started, geez, I think it's almost two years ago now, there was just no one on. And the people who were on did a lot of limited. So I taught for a while, you know, I, I play PTQs. I want to see these decks played. I know that a lot of Americans do it. Um, so why not me? And that's that's just how it started. So what, what you can expect to see in my stream is usually what is the PTQ season? I'll be playing that format. I, I don't have a strong preference if it's off PTQ season like it is now. I'll play Vintage vintage Cube or I'll grab a Legacy deck off my sponsor's card hoarder who supply me with a lot of these decks and an opportunity to stream um, and do something fun. But mostly it's what do I think is good and standard? What's the new list that came up? Is it modern season? How do we break modern? I'm going to try every deck that I can until I find something I want. Uh, I'll try and build up to GPs a lot as well. So any GP I'm doing, we're gonna I'm gonna go through my entire testing process. I'm gonna share every piece of knowledge I have and my all my opinions with my uh, with my viewers. That's kind of just all information out and what I would do if I wasn't streaming. This is how much magic I play. These are the decks I try if I wasn't streaming. Cool. And then you mentioned your podcast. Where can people find that so they can check you out and kind of what can they expect to find there as well? So I do, uh, I mentioned my sponsor, Card Hoarder, and I do a stream with them, which is called the Card Hoarder Podcast. It is on their website, cardhoarder.com. Uh, they are a bot online, and they, they, as I said, they sponsor me with a bunch of streamers, and to no real, I guess, plus to themselves. I, I know the owner, he does a podcast with me, his name is Nathaniel, and he just wants to give back to the community. So this is how I got involved. I got onto their team. They rent out decks to streamers so I can stream what I want and I can test what I want. And they just asked who wants to do a podcast about Magic Online. I'm like, hell yeah. And like, this was within the first year of me streaming. I want to get as much content as I can out there. So we just start doing a dedicated kind of moto podcast. And that's kind of moved on a little bit. And we do a bit of all kind of Magic Media. So if anything comes up about coverage, we'll talk a bit about GPs that happened. Though we won't... We're never dissecting metagames. We might talk about a cool deck or what's popping up, but it's all just about magic news and especially focus on magic, the gathering news. Our, our host, Connor, worked a lot with SCG and their kind of production and stuff like that until he had to move away from the area. So he is fantastic and makes me sound like I'm not a, a babbling idiot <laughs> when a lot of the time that is very far from the truth. He's actually a big fan of the show, so uh, he, he might even be listening to this. And that... <laughs> That uh, that is uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. It's mostly magic online, but we will go a bit for big magic news. We're never gonna not talk about something big that's happened. Sure, sure. And I I would encourage all of our listeners to check out uh, Dave Murphy's content. I I have watched his stream many times and in, enjoy what I've found there. So go check his stuff out. Oot, as they say. <laughs> Thank you. That is true. So I have one last question though about about the pro tour and. Yeah. Before, before we move on to Amonkhet, this is kind of a wild card question. Aside from actually going and competing and playing Magic, what are you looking forward to the most about going to the Pro Tour? Well, I've never been to Japan, and I'm very much looking forward to that. My uh, Kali uh, got some, some time off work, which we were very surprised at. She did not have much time left. Going over with one of my best friends, I mentioned him earlier, Fergus that runs uh, the Magic Store near us. And all three of us are going over Unfortunately, a lot of the holiday is going to be me sitting inside playing whatever decks that I'm planning on playing the Pro Tour. But 
Uh, Kyoto is supposed to be a fantastic city, very cultural. They said there was a lot of temples, a lot of Buddhist temples there. And I thought that meant 20, 30. But it seems to be a lot more than that. It seems to be every corner has its own magnificent, unique-looking temple. So my plan so far is every morning go for a walk and see something new. Every night eat lots of fantastic food because I really love Asian food. And Callie is just going to be enjoying the sights the entire time traveling with her. So uh, very much just looking forward to kind of the culture, which is kind of the opposite of what uh, what I usually do at GPs and stuff. Because it's kind of, uh, what was the old saying? Uh, Play magic, see the world is what they used Play to say. Play the game, right? see the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's see the convention halls of the world. Yeah. I'm very yeah. much, I'm very much getting late on a Friday leave on the Sunday. I'm too far away from anything to do anything. But for once, you know, we're saying I'm staying right in the middle of Kyoto because if you're at Kyoto Station, if you go north, that's where the PT venue is. If you go south, that's where the GP venue is. But now I can just travel to anything in the city when I want and very much looking forward to just absorbing the culture, I guess. That's awesome. Well, you you certainly deserved it. Uh, you certainly deserve it. You worked hard for it. So enjoy your your vacation with the Pro Tour and the GP kind of on the ends of that vacation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We're all rooting for you and very jealous. <laughs> I I hope I really hope you get a feature match. I love what like I I always tune in for the Pro Tour. Um, and if I can't catch it live, I'll catch it on replay on on the the video on demand. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm fingers crossed you get on a feature match. Uh, or you know make the top eight because i'd love to watch you play live uh and and kind of root for you in chat and say hey like we talked to that guy he's awesome and uh, and kind of and kind of toot your horn there so I'll, I'll i'll tweet it out to all 75 of my followers and and 10 of which actually play magic but no i, I couldn't be happier for you i love it when um uh you know the, the people that, that work hard and and really love what they do i love it when they find success and uh and and it, it sounds like you found at least enough success right now and i hope that carries on i'd love to see you make the make the train earning silver or better so, so i'm really rooting for you thank you so much i uh, hopefully i hopefully i got amaz in the first round we can do a streamer streamer off, stream showdown <laughs> that's yeah. right i forgot he was playing okay well yeah. that you know you would guarantee get on the feature match i think if that was the case <laughs> yeah, yeah hopefully so, and then you can roll them over in, in the first round of standard or something like that. And then, uh, and kind of go from there. So, okay. Well, how do you feel about talking about ammo cat? We're so far into the format. I mean, I, th- I think it's time to say goodbye. It's still around with our devastation coming out, but I think I've got some thoughts. I haven't played as much as you guys. Maybe we can spend a few minutes and just kind of say goodbye. Yeah. I've, I found the format really interesting the development of it anyway. So I definitely for talking about it. All right, Travis, where, where did you want to start with this one? I think this was your baby. So where, where, where do you want to go with this one to start? Well, I, I, I thought we'd maybe just do like hits and misses of Ammon Cat. What was mm-hmm. just fantastic about this format? Uh, and I, I think there were definitely some things that were fantastic. And what was kind of not so great about this format. So I'll, maybe we'll go around the table. I'll start us off with a hit. A hit for sure. me was the difference, the, the magnitude of the difference between draft and sealed. They were such different formats and played out so differently. And it's it's like usually sealed is a step or two behind draft. It's a little less synergy driven, 
but it, it was such a huge gulf here. Whereas like draft, you have to be prepared to handle something on turn two. And most of the sealed decks I built had two or fewer two drops. So I, I really enjoyed that, that draft and sealed were so different. It, I felt like I got an edge because I played a lot of sealed and practiced. And I also enjoyed sealed a lot more because I could play with some of these cool grindy cards Sandworm Convergence, for example, that just really never really had a home in draft. So a, a big hit for me was that that golf, that draft and sealed were very different animals here. What, what was a, a hit for the format for you guys? I, I think, uh, and it's been a hit over the last couple of formats, I think the build-arounds have been a lot of fun in this format. I think you, you hit on Sandworm Convergence. Near the end of the format, I think that became less playable in draft as people got more and more aggressive. But they're starting to really hit their stride, and here's a cool uncommon. You can build around it, and it's obvious, but it still feels fun to play. So the likes of Enigma Drake and uh, Wayward Servant and stuff like that, easy to build around, but they were satisfying once you hit those notes, and they were good. So it's really crappy when these uncommons taking up important slots in the draft end up being duds, like in, uh, what's a good example, Origins. Origins, a bunch of the uncommon build arounds, they meant nothing. They were bad cards, and they were... They were left in the packs mostly, but I think all the un- I think all the yeah, pretty much all of the multicolor uncommons were just extremely good in their archetypes and led a path to what the format did. So I, I do like when that happens. Uh, I, special shout out to Enigma Drake, who was just I think my probably my favorite and ended up being one of the strongest archetypes in the format. So that's a big hit for me. Let's see, I didn't draft nearly as much as I had hoped in this format, um, but one of the hits for me, I think, um, it's kind of in that build-around <laughs> kind of style, but I was able to do some really cool things that made me feel like, um, like not not like I had broken the format, but that I had a deck that was overperforming, like uh, the Archfiend of Ifnir into like three cyclers and wipe my opponent's board. And it was just like, you know, bam, bam, bam. I did a really cool thing and I just ran you over. Not so much like the, you know, I'm attacking on turn two, I'm attacking on turn three, but really being able to combo off, it felt like there was a couple of places, a couple of a couple of times you could really do that, whether that be Drake Haven and cycling, you know, uh, Glorybringer and, and Sparring Mummy type decks and, and things like that and really trying to go off. I think there was one time where I'm trying to remember what it did. Oh, I was able to like cycle that vizier that untaps and like, you know, tap, tap my edifice of authority, put a third brick counter on it, cycle it, untap it, tap it again to make my opponent's thing not being able to block anymore and swing for the win, you know, when they were on two life or something like that. Like I remember doing that once in the format. I can't remember what it must've been draft deck. And it's just like finding these like neat lines of play um and, and that's because of the synergy i think of a lot of the things in the set and i think that was really cool so th- that was a big hit for me i i've got at least one more hit there's a lot of things i liked about this set uh, and this is not normally one that that hits for me but the flavor here was absolutely delicious for for whatever reason i've always loved egyptian mythology the the story of horus the the idea of the pyramids and like they really managed to make it feel like a magic set steeped in that mythology and then also like include this almost fear of bolus returning and you could see like him on all of the cards and you're like what is he up to like i haven't cared enough about the magic story to follow it very much honestly and it it was a letdown for me that those of you who know me i I have some tattoos of bad guys from fantasy literature i I like the bad guys 
I like Sauron. I like Horus. And Tezzeret just wasn't bad enough for me. So like after M and Ket, where we've got somebody that, I don't know, what was he doing? Trying to meter their electricity? I, I don't know. The, <laughs> the the flavor there was a bit lost on me. It's like fight the power company. I'm like, here comes a dragon god who's corrupted an entire plane, and it looks like ancient Egypt. Like I was excited to look at these cards, to play with them. I enjoyed the art style. Like that just knocked it out of the park for me. Yeah, I, I'll give one more uh, hit. And I, I guess I'll explain it in uh, one word, which is Slitterblade. So I, I think it's really cool when people break bad cards or do unexpected things. And the last two pro, we look to the Pro Tours a lot of the time for this because pros are pretty good benchmarks of what you can do. Because any of us can pull off a silly draft deck that wins or does a decent record. But um, and for the last two draft formats, We've seen pros and very good pros uh, draft all, off the wall decks. So this one was uh, Christian Calcano with his like six slitter blade deck. That was actually just excellent. And a lot of his team were not trying to exactly force it, but knew they could table every slitter blade at the table and ended up with multi multiple uh, slitter blade decks. And the last one, I remember, not Aether Revolt, the one before that, Kaladesh, when you could just do, there was like three infinite combos within commons and uncommons and that set. And when pros pull that off, you know it's not just a goof. You know it is a legitimate thing. So that's always a nice experience for me. And uh, hopefully I'm on on the good side of that going into it this time. <laughs> I hope so. I have I have a few more hits. So just interrupt me if you have anything more that that you want to um, that you want to touch on. But um, the mechanics overall, and not just the named mechanics, but the the themes. So like like the the or not the, the themes but like the the cartouche and trial th- um, combos as well as the minus one minus one counters. I thought it all worked really well for the most part. Cycling felt like the worst out of all of them, even though it's kind of the mechanic that everybody kind of likes the most. But the aftermath, I really like the aftermath cards. Embalm was okay, but but I did like the ability to do more things from the graveyard. I really liked how the trials and cartouches worked. I really liked that the cartouches. Um, you know, you, you didn't normally when we like in the past, when we played auras, we were always so hesitant to play them because, oh, you're going to get blown out by something. But the cartouches never really felt like that. Like I never really, I was never really worried about getting blown out by a cartouche as much as I would any other aura in any other set. So I really liked what they did with that. And the minus one, minus one counters. I, I loved playing with minus one, minus one counters in this set. I loved the, the splendid agony card, the cards like that, but I also liked Hepatra. Um, which if you could get it to go off and limited was, was amazing. It was really tough. I found to actually get it to go off, but you know, every once in a while you're just making a million death touch snakes. And, and that was really kind of cool. Um, and, and, and exert is, is a neat mechanic and it looks like they're doing more with it in the next set. Um, but obviously that makes for a very aggressive format, which is different than what I'm used to. I think I'm not, I'm not very good at aggressive format. So it really challenged me, um, as indicated by my win rate, but I, I think, I don't think I found a mechanic in this set that I didn't like. And that was, that's really hard to find for me. I think I can always pick something nitpicky out of it. And I think my only nitpick is that cycling felt the most out of place theme wise when it comes to the set as a whole. I I can get behind that. I I would still generally call cycling a hit. Like you have to be careful with cycling because it, it turns cards that normally wouldn't be playable into playable. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and you get into these silly situations where you're playing 15 or 14 land decks and that sort of thing. But I, I thought cycling in this set was nicely balanced with very aggressive decks so that you couldn't plan on just cycling your first three turns and then starting to play magic. You'd lost half your life total by then. So like I, I've, I've played in very old cycling formats where it was, mm-hmm. it was kind of boring. Like you just spend the first few you know, turns cycling things around and then you actually get to play magic. I thought it was well balanced this time around. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I, I did enjoy it. I just think it was, out of all of the mechanics, I probably enjoyed it the least. That doesn't mean it was like a 4 out of 10. That probably means it was like a 7 or an 8 out of 10 instead of a yeah. 9 or a 10 out of 10. So, um, And then on top of that, there were a lot of decision points. And maybe this is just my inexperience. Like, I didn't draft as much. I wonder what you guys think on this one. But it felt like there were a lot more meaningful decisions you had to make. Unless you're up against a red-white aggressive deck. And then it was just, oh, I can't block here. Like, what am I doing? But... You had options to cycle. Do I save this card to not or, and not cycle with it? Do I exert here? Do I not exert here? Um, you know, when do I embalm my creatures? When do I line up for an after aftermath card? Um, Destined to lead the the uh, black green one. Oh, it was yes, my favorite so aftermath good. card because it, you could you could realistically play it on two or two mana. You could realistically play it from the graveyard with four and still get value out of it. And then you could blow your opponent out on six mana with a death toucher. And it was great all three times. But it was a meaningful decision point that you had to make on each of them. And I felt like the the, the, the format to me was very challenging. And I could spend five minutes analyzing a play and still not know what the correct play was. And I really liked that. It really challenged me as a player. Yeah, I, I do think there's a lot of decision points. And I do think a lot of mechanics, especially cycling, lead to decision points, but I, I wanted to give our first down, I guess, mm. our first miss, because uh, yep. I disagree slightly with something you said. And I think exert as a mechanic is a good idea. I think uh, exert as a mechanic uh, oozes um, the- thematic kind of things, you know, creatures getting tired and not being able to move afterwards. Or that, I think that's cool. I think that's a cool concept. I think they're all slightly too powerful for limited. I think the fact that a bunch of them, especially the one, the ones I call too powerful is when over three turns, you would have done the same amount of damage if you had just got to attack. So what I mean with, let's take Gus Walker, which ended up probably being the best white common. You know, some people had the, uh, is it compulsory arrest is the uh, removal mm-hmm. spell. Some people they had arrest. Wrong. Yeah. Some people had arrest over it, but it's probably just Gus Walker. And, that that's a bit of an issue when a good removal spell and there wasn't any ways to abuse an enchantment in that format. There was no blink effects like in other formats that make these enchantments bad. It's a two mana pacifism, and it's it's not good enough to be better than this creature. And it's because when they have a blocker, it didn't matter. You were still doing six damage over three turns when they had a blocker, and that's that doesn't. It's a bit too powerful for, I think, a two drop for me. A hooded brawler was ended up being one of the best green commons again, just this random dork. And while there's a lot of decision points in average games, exert could sometimes cut them in half. You just mm-hmm. don't have blocks, no matter how decent your blocker was by any standards of draft. It didn't matter; these decks could just run you over when they were ahead. Being on the play was a major thing. I think this even leaked over into sealed. So my sealed deck for the RPTQ was like a perfect eight out of ten red white aggro deck. That you'd seen a draft. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that is a problem with sealed because I, I agree with Travis and the Michael Jacob kind of approach, I call it. You know, barely any two drops, lots of cyclers, 
two and a half colors minimum. You're always just playing the best cards. And that makes for fun enough sealed. Except when your opponent was lucky like I was and had a draft deck while you had a sealed deck. And then it wasn't a game. And that, I think, uh, in uh, especially the RPQ I went to, that led to a lot of people trying to force those aggressive decks, even if they had a good mid-range deck there, because there was a fear that you can't do anything about these aggressive decks. So I don't like mechanics that make blocking terrible, and Exert kind of made blocking terrible. Well, I, di- I don't think it ruined the format, but when everyone first saw it, it's like cycling. It will be long, there'll be a lot of decision points. Every now and again, those decks reared their head that were just, well, I'm going to blow you out. <laughs> We're, we're going to go, and unless you have a magma spray, it's going to be really hard to break up my curve and do anything about it. I, I, I have to agree with you there. I, I was actually going to present it from a, a little bit different angle, but it's the same end result. And that one of my favorite things to do in Magic is block. I love gang blocking. I like blocking something with three creatures when it looks like you'd only need two. I love thinking about what tricks they could have. And like when I first saw the format, I was kind of excited that there's a, a two-mana one-four and that we're getting Ancient Crab back. And I was like, this is going to give me the time I need to get all of my value out of my Aftermath cards and my Embalm cards. And it turns out they just don't actually block anything at all. Like, <laughs> they're just, they're, they're sideboard cards against your opponent's bad creatures anyway. So it's like kind of disappointed that we got some good defensive creatures. And we kind of need those these days in Limited. We don't get Doomblade anymore. You know, we we don't get spells quite of that that caliber. So we can play blockers and, and you know, create a, a, a board saw and then kill them with flyers. And it, it looked like the tools were there. And like like you said, Gus Walker didn't look that great until somebody killed you with it or you killed somebody with it. And you're like, this card's kind of busted. So I, I think that was a miss for me too. It's like, I didn't get to block as much. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would have liked it if those were pushed back a little bit. I almost think just giving Gus Walker flying when it exerted would have been enough. Yeah, it didn't I, need the plus one, plus one. Plus one. Mm-hmm. And I've I think, yeah. I think Hooded Brawler getting plus one, plus one and Trample would have been quite sufficient. Um, yep. Now, coming from a format where previously we had Renegade Freighter, it, it's not as bad as that. Hmm. Um <laughs> So it, you know, it, it's not quite that bad, but it, 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 those, those two cards were still pushed a bit much. So yeah, I'll, I'll agree that was a miss for me. It's, it's like I was just gonna say, it's like if we had a, an extra half point of toughness or losing a half point of power on the exert creature, or not on the like, if if your blockers were a little bit tougher or the or the exert attackers were a little bit weaker, like just by half a point either way, almost I think it might have been a little bit more like easy to stomach when it comes to blocking, but like, like a one five, I'm, I'm amazed that the one five couldn't block things. Like you almost needed it to be a one six. Your ancient crab needed to be a one six to be playable at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that's bizarre to me in, in, in modern magic. So I actually tweeted out a draft pick that I made before we went on the cast. And I think this personifies the format. So a card that I think would normally, and it's still very good in this format, but normally be a slam dunk bomb is honored Hydra. Six mana, six, six trample, which is great on its face, and then it embalms for four mana. So I first pick an Oketra's Monument, and then my second pick, you know, Pack has a good amount of playables, but it's between Honored Hydra and uh, On Crop Crusher. And I reluctantly took the Hydra, but I posted it afterwards. And I think my pick was dead wrong. I don't think it's actually even particularly close after thinking about it for a while. I think it's the Crusher, the 3 2 haste that stops something from blocking. And I think the Crasher is way better. And that's ridiculous sounding to me that a six mana, six, six trampler that can come back 
in a format with cycling, which you would assume is a little bit slower, is worse than uh, the second or third best red on common. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sums up the format quite nicely, actually. Yeah. yeah. I find it interesting how far the format has evolved, though. You yeah. know, like the first weeks of the format before people started to pick up how aggressive it was. It was it was kind of slow. Like I I could play those six sixes for six and it'd be okay with it. And then as I got behind in the format and realized after the Pro Tour that it's like, oh, like everybody knows it's aggressive, like I had to change my thinking entirely and, and I still haven't even caught up. So I find I found that interesting, but um but you guys are absolutely right. I'm on board with that one for sure. Um I got a I got a miss here and and it sucks because they're kind of like the the theme of the set or, or, or not necessarily the main characters, but the, the like important characters in the story. I really didn't like the gods, which is, which is really unfortunate. Um, I didn't like how it felt like some of them, you couldn't play and, and, and attack and block frequently enough to make it worthwhile. But I always felt like I should be picking them because like Kefnet, it's like, Oh, I mean, it seems like a fine card. Like, you know, I should be able to get seven cards in my hand and be able to attack and block with it. But realistically, like the 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 adult in me was telling me that I probably shouldn't pick that card and I should pick a, a Gust Walker or some card that I that I, um, you know, that I can attack and block with 100 percent of the time. Um, and the indestructible clause was kind of cool. But, you know, with the minus one, minus one counters and stuff, it's like or final reward. It's like either you played it and did get to activate it and attack and block or it kind of just died to 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 final reward. They they were kind of a complete miss for me. Yeah, I, I like I, I'm very obsessed with pick orders. I, I don't stay to them too rigidly, but I think it shows quality of cards. And Oketra was worse than the three best white uncommons, and I don't think it's particularly close. And that's probably a big miss for your mythic. I, I don't mean to complain about mythics because uh, we'll probably talk about it a bit later. The mythics and the rares in the set were really strong, so I don't exactly want the mythics to be busting the format. But uh, I think Ronus was the only one that I like first picking, and the rest of them are considerably worse than their best uncommon, right? Oh, no, uh, Hazarat. Hazarat is also good. Sorry. Hazarat was good, yeah. Yeah, yeah Hazarat was, was fine. Good. Yeah, so, but the other ones, like, they were bad by a lot. Like, I think Bantu was close to unplayable. Unless you had like a very dedicated deck for him, he got a lot better in sealed. I'll say, but Kefnet, I tried multiple times. I don't think I've ever won a game with it. Uh, Oketra is fine, but again, you're paying yeah. four mana to not dedicate to a board, and in a format where there's a green common that's a five four when it attacks, you know, so it's rough. And you you kind of set me up for the, my last miss and and this can be you know a hit for some people a miss for others i suppose this is more personal preference but it it felt like the gulf there's been a flattening of power level in commons uh, over the course of the past few years and i've kind of gotten used to that that like the gulf between the best common and the worst common isn't that great but lord of mercy if there weren't some just bomb rares in this format <laughs> and uh, I, I I don't love that where you do everything you can to leverage yourself into a position to win a game and they top deck glory bringer and you're like, well, I can't win now. That's kind of the poster child for those. But I think there were a lot of, of very powerful, very game swingy type effects stapled onto the rares and, and not just mythics rares in this format that that made it a little less fun for me than it could have been. Yeah, I think the key there is, uh, as you said, is rares, not mythics. So I think the last, I cannot remember the last set before the set 
where Herrera was the best card in the set. In fact, arguably, no, not might have been Fate Reforged. Yeah, I, I think it might have been Fate Reforged. Like, I'm trying to think, and there's like a long string of white mythics being like the best card in the set for a long time. But Glory Bringer to me is by far the best card in the set, and it's not not considered because it's one of those cards you pick and your win percentage goes up by 20% straight away, if not more. And then the next card is probably a Mythic and the Angel. But then the cards after that, there's arguments for uh, Insult Injury being better than the Angel. It's just a random red or air. Uh, then it's probably the Angel, but then you have like uh, Archfiend of Ifnir, the Blue Fasir, Fasir of Many Faces, and the uh, Blue Sphinx. Glyphkeeper. Glyphkeeper. So it's only one Mythic in the top five cards. So not, a, not only is a rare the best card in the set, but out of the top five cards, there's four rares that are game breakers, absolute game breakers, unmatched, not even close uh, to any uncommon in the set. So that's kind of, it's kind of bizarre, and it's the first time we've seen it in a very long time. Yeah, I, I don't care for that play style. I mean, was that, like, is that something you enjoy, Dave? I, I know you've done a little bit less drafts, but, like, is it cool to open a rare and be like, okay, I get to play with this? Or is it, like, just awful when your opponent slams one? Uh, losing the glory bringer was pretty awful. I think it's less awful for me because I absolutely adore the card. We, okay. We call, <laughs> we call, we call them Trogdor on stream. And we, we just have a running joke of how the peoples. <laughs> we just have like an ongoing joke on, I don't think I've ever actually won a game with him and he just keeps beating me up even though I love him. So that wasn't too bad. Um, losing the angel of sanctions also felt kind of awful or glyph keeper. Because at least Trogdor is definitely the best card. There's no argument about it. But when you lost to Trogdor, it's probably because they played. There's a little bit of play to them. They have to bait out removal. You don't want to just kill one thing and have them die, and then they they maybe win the game. He does die to a couple common removal spells. That's not the case with Glyphkeeper or or Angel of Sanction. She does get final rewarded, but she doesn't get. uh, The Angel doesn't get taken out by anything else permanently. Doesn't even get taken out by your opponent. Maybe your opponent's being a bit of an idiot and attacks carelessly with it and loses it in combat. Doesn't matter. I'm just going to eat your guy again. So uh, and bomb, even though I think in general was really good in the set and gave a lot of options and was well, unlike exert, which I think, you know, gave too big of a bonus. I think, uh, and bomb was well costed for the majority of cards. Some of the rares are not well costed for limited and that, Mm -hmm. that sucked a little bit. Also, insult to injury, when people find out that was good, that's very frustrating to lose to. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I have any more misses. Like, aside from the fact that I wasn't very good at the format, I think that's the only miss for me that's <laughs> left. But, like, that's that's on me. That's not on the format itself. <laughs> so, but, like, we when we had Cam on uh, for his Pickle Challenge stream, we talked about rating it, and, and I think he rated it a 9 out of 10. And... You know, I kind of nodded along, you know, yeah, I was having fun with the format. And Travis is like, eh, we always say that about new formats. And now that we've kind of hit the tail end of it, like, I don't think it cracks, you know, the top 10 drafts for me. I don't, I think it's, it's good, but good is average, I think, for a magic draft set for me. I think, I think most sets are good to me. So I don't think it was anything special. I don't know if I'll have fond memories of it. I, I, I'll play it again. Um, but, but I'm not, you know, pining to go back to it. Like I am with cons of dark here, for example, what do you guys think of, of where it kind of sits for you I'm overall? Always, I'm always going to be a bit happier because obviously my RP, my RPTQ, I still have that deck in the deck box somewhere over there. 
And that's probably going to be a fond memory for a while. So that's going to help lighten it for me. But I think it's about a 7.5. It's not a bad format. It had good development. But uh, I, I guess this story kind of sums it up a little bit for me. I have a friend who gets in and out of Magic sometimes. He played competitively when he was a bit younger. Uh, but now I've got him to get back into it a little bit. And he does drafts. He enjoys Limited a lot. He never enjoyed Constructed that much. And I've invited him around to the house to play a few drafts the other day. And pack two, pick two, Gravedigger or Shock, Magma Spray. And we both laughed because we played years ago. And this never used to be close. It's Gravedigger, not close. Gravedigger was bomb level in common. And now it's completely reverted. It's Magma Spray, not close. It's silly to think it's nearly anything else in the pack. There's only a couple uncommons I take over Magma Spray. And I think that is not exactly the style of format I want. I'm not the biggest fan of, you know, you're playing until you're both almost decked kind of format either, because I think that can get a bit boring and repetitive. You know, you games actually only come down to three or four cards in your deck sometimes with those kind of style. But I like a good in-between. I think Kaladesh actually had a really good balance of aggressive to shenanigans, and that falls on an 8 or 9 to the, uh, in the scale for me. So I think this is 7.5. Just below Kaladesh, functional, fun format, but has its flaws. I, you know, I, as you're saying that, I'm recognizing that my favorite limited formats are the ones that I've done well in. So, like, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, Shadows Over Innistrad was great. I had some PTQ top eights there. And, you know, M15, I'm probably the only one who's like, yeah, that was good stuff. But it, it, as, I think you've hit on a lot of points there. And, and that was an interesting one for me too. I can remember playing in formats with Gravedigger and Shock. Like Tempest, you just slam the Gravedigger every single time. It's amazing. And it, it is funny that we've kind of come full circle. I would rate it as an average magic set, which makes it a good magic set. If this is flashed back alongside uh, Cons of Tarkir, you know, Triple Innistrad and Dragon's Maze format for me, I, I'm not going to play much Ammon Cat. The, those, those other three are going to be a, a pretty high on my list of of fun formats to go back to but again that doesn't make it bad and i think the flavor made up with a lot of the difference for me it's not often that flavor really really resonates uh but this and like the the new phyrixian saga were ones where i really got into the story and enjoyed it a lot so yeah i'd say average magic set which makes it a, a good magic set magic's good it's it's amazing how far that they've come when it comes to developing limited formats in that if this set was developed 10 years ago, I think it it would be, you know, one of the best sets at the time. Yeah. Maybe maybe 15, like, you know, when, whenever, like before the glory days of limited. But now you kind of we're in that golden age of limited and it's just it's good, you know, and 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 that and that's almost a knock on it because it's it's not obviously they can't paint paint a Picasso every time. But even their even their their misses or, or their average sets are still good and interesting and and fun to a lot of people and and i think that that really that's comforting as a magic player like it, it makes me know that that they're in the right direction and that the next set will probably be just as good or, or in that same ballpark and the quality overall should remain fairly consistent hopefully for the next few years and hopefully get better but um it, it's a good sign of things to come for magic i, I want to end on here there's a couple of really cool things that I've seen and maybe, maybe I'm not putting, hopefully I'm not putting you guys on the spot, but I want, I want to, I want to mention one of the coolest things that I saw and, and cool from a, like a funny perspective. But the first time I saw somebody cast a vizier of many faces on their opponent's glory bringer and then exert the glory bringer and try to target their opponent's glory bringer. And it takes them minutes on magic online to realize what they did wrong. 
that was really fun for me the first time I saw that. And, and I don't know if you guys have any other similar stories to that, but that was, that was pretty cool. Or like cartouching up my, my hex proof, uh, crocodile with lifelink and, and, and trample and double cartouche on him. That was, that was a pretty good game for me too. I, I kind of like those two things. And that was, um, you know, obviously before the aggro set in, in the format, but those are the, my fondest memories of the format right there. Uh, I think one of my favorite ones, I, I get, uh, I guess it's being a bit bad to the person that did it, but uh, at table one of the RPTQ, around three or four at the time, I'm looking at the two guys, and they're obviously a bit nervous. I think they're more local players, not like traveling grinders. Um, one of them has this broken beyond all belief. Uh, Liliana, Glorybringer, um, Archfiend of Ifnir, like, all the uncommons you want, all the removal. I'm like, wow, I really hope I don't get paired against this guy soon. My deck could not beat it in a million years. And he slams Archfiend on turn four or five. And his opponent has a pretty decent white-black zombies desk uh, with Dust Dawn and stuff like that. And Sam's Ifnir has two cards in hand. Uh, and he has the Liliana out. I think it's on one or something. It's been being attacked. The guy has a couple zombies out. And he just stares at him. And he's just thinking, thinking, thinking. And he uh, mind rots him. He mind rots the guy. Oh no! And, and just loses his board. I'm just sitting there like, oh, that's a bad time to learn that lesson. That is a bad time to learn that for the first. Oh, time. It's not just cycle; it's discard. Oh boy, that's brutal. That is yeah. brutal. So I I knew that because you can do it to yourself. I'm pretty sure to mind rot in this format targets. So I've done it to myself to make a grim strider lethal before. So I could see it coming from a mile away. I could just see the glint in his eye. I'm like, don't play it. Don't do it. Just attack the Liliana. Don't do it. Mind rot you. Oh, come on. I did also once fling a Grimstrider for lethal. By, and I had to go and look up the rule to see if me playing fling and putting it on the stack sure. increased the size of the Grimstrider to do that extra point of damage. Or if the sacrifice was while the fling was still in my hand, we had a nice little discussion on stream about that one. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Travis, you got one to, to close us out with here? Mine's a little bit different than yours. Um, it was a, a draft deck. I'm playing a blue-white flyers deck against a blue-white control deck. My opponent has resolved their Gideon, up, upticked it to the point, and they've got spectral procession tokens everywhere. It's going to come down to decking. They emblem, and I have 10 cards left in my deck. They have two. One of those cards in my deck is the bounce spell, which targets any non-land permanence. So I'm like, if I can just keep them from killing me, I will eventually bounce that Gideon, and they will deck. So the game entirely became about, like, chump block, do whatever you can to survive. And I think it was my second-to-last card so I imagine they thought I was just being a jerk and wasting time, but like I knew I had an answer to it there. And I think I was at two life and about to deck. And then um, I actually drew, <laughs> uh, God, what's the, the four mana card where they can't play a spell? Gideon's Intervention. Oh, yeah, I drew yeah. Gideon's Intervention the turn before, played it named Cancel. Because I'm like, I'm going to draw that as long as they don't have a counter spell for it. I got them. Finally drew it, bounced their Gideon they lose because they can't draw a card. <laughs> that is a really good one to leave on. So looking forward to our of devastation. We don't have a lot of time left here. We got to get these guys to bed, uh, given that they're across the ocean and on the East coast. Um, 
mechanics look really cool. I'm really excited to see what they change here. Um, actually, a lot of the mechanics look the same, but the story, if you're not following the story, Travis and David, you guys need to follow the story because holy crap, is it cool? Rivers turn to blood and there's locusts. It's a whole biblical plague in this hizzy. Nice. That's cool. I can't wait. And thank you for staying up late and, and recording yes. this with us, Dave. That is much appreciated, man. Oh, there's a good chance I would have just been a degenerate and just been drafting anyway. So no, no problem at all. <laughs> Outstanding. All right. Well, thank you to our, all of our listeners. And uh, David, uh, can you just let them know where they can find you on Twitch and Twitter? And uh, we'll, we'll, send them, we'll send them your way with some links in the show notes. Awesome. Well, on uh, Twitch, I'm Dave C. That's S-E-A. I'm uh, doing my thing five, six days a week. Uh, if you want to follow my schedule, you can find me on Twitch. Uh, on sorry, on Twitter, which is Dave C eighty nine again S E A on that, and you can chat to me about any of these topics or subjects on there. Outstanding, and all of our listeners know where to find Travis and myself. But just in case they're new, Travis, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash simulin S E M U L I N. I'm also on Twitter under the same handle, and you can see my draft videos here on Mana Deprived. And I am uh, twitch.tv slash dcivilian, that's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N, sub emote coming soon. Uh, And you can find me on Twitter at the same place. Thank you once again to uh, Face to Face Games and Mana Deprived for hosting us. We really appreciate the support that they give us. And thank you again to our guest, Mr. Murphy, Dave Murphy. Hopefully you have a great run at the PT. I cannot wait to see you in the top eight. And if not, I cannot wait to see you on the feature match. But I'm sure that you will have a good event either way. So good luck to you, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks again for listening and we will catch you next time.